Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am joined by my regular co-host for the 20th Century Movie Club by my good friend Mike. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dana. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back on the show. And we are excited to welcome back a returning guest to the 20th Century Movie Club, Mr. Jay Skipworth. Jay, welcome back. How are you today? Dana, Mike, thanks for having me back. Glad to be back here to uh, talk 20th Century Movie Club with you guys. Had a blast the last time and uh, looking forward to it again today. Outstanding. Well, we're really happy to have you. Now, just real quickly before we get started, for listeners that maybe haven't heard the last appearance that you were on, can you tell little listeners just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your podcast, and uh, we'll get started. Yeah, absolutely. I am the co-host of a podcast called Filmstrip Podcast. We've been around since 2011, uh, taking a little time off here and there. But we do movie reviews, uh, like you know, millions of other podcasts. But we like to think we have a lot of fun. Uh, me and the rotating uh, co-hosts that I have on the show. I have six uh, folks on the team, including me, at all times. And every other week, we review a different movie. We do a lot of different genres, and we just try to have a lot of fun with it. And you can find all of it at filmstrippodcast.com. Search Filmstrip podcast you can find us on twitter facebook and then wherever podcasts are found and i really appreciate you let me get the plug in and dana really excited to say you're going to be coming on an upcoming show of film strip in our usual shocktober lineup so uh, glad to have you uh, come on my show well let me just say jay i had a great time talking with you about that well i won't spoil what the movie was but uh it was awesome so thank you for having me absolutely all right so this is volume 17 of the 20th century movie club which, to be honest with you, is pretty mind-boggling, considering that, you know, I'm trying to balance other series on this podcast. The fact that we've been able to get, you know, hit the ground running, 17 episodes. Uh, we're hitting a particular milestone on this one, which I'm going to touch on in just a minute. We, over the past three uh, previous episodes, have been doing, uh, going back in the decades, 1970s, 1960s, 1950s. So, we're done with that for right now, and I'm having returning guests over the next three episodes, starting with you, of course, Jake. And I've actually asked each of the guests to come up with a theme for this particular episode. So, Jay, why don't you tell the listeners the theme that you came up with and where you got the inspiration from? Yeah, when you pitched this to me, we were having a conversation on DMs on Twitter. I was thinking, well, okay, what, what can we do? And I am a sucker for true stories turned into fictionalized or semi-fictionalized art. I've always been into that. Um, I watch all those true crime docs and all that stuff. And I really was thinking about, because I, I had rewatched this movie from 2015 recently called True Story, and I won't spoil it, but check it out if you're interested in true crime and, a, and an interesting story. And I got to thinking, I was like, wait a minute, how many movies have been, quote, based on a true story? And I just Googled that real quick and I got, you know, the phone book, basically, uh, which for the kids that don't know what that is, I got a lot of results. And so I got to think, I was like, you know, that might be a fun thing to do. So I pitched you, why don't we do based on a true story? And personally, for me, I picked films from each of the decades I was alive in the 20th century, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. I tried to make sure I had something from each one of those um, in my picks. But that, that's really where it came from was I, I like movies like this. I tend to go for them. Even if they're not 100% accurate, I find that to be even more fun because it makes me go and research it. And sometimes I've, I've ended up reading really good books and finding cool things about it. And I can really pin it all the way back to when I was a kid. They made a TV movie off of a book called Fatal Vision, which is about a very infamous murder here in North Carolina at Fort Bragg, the Dr. Jeffrey McDonald murders. And it's I mean, he's been in the news forever uh, since his conviction and all this stuff. And I remember reading that book, watching that TV movie when I was a kid. Gary Cole plays the lead role in it. He's amazing. And so it, that just inspired this lifelong obsession of mine with based on a true story, whether it was close to reality or not. I've always liked these kind of movies. I mean, when when you sent that to me, the light bulb just went off. I'm like, yeah. What, well, why haven't we even broached this subject yet? So, because there's there's a lot out there. I mentioned that we're celebrating a, a small milestone with this episode, and that is up until this point, up to this point, we have recommended 99 films on the 20th Century Movie Club. And whoever makes the first pick will be recommending the 100th film on the 20th Century Movie Club. And Mike, you've been with me since day one on this one. I wouldn't have it any other way. So will you please kick off Volume 17 with the 100th recommendation for the 20th Century Movie Club? Happy to. Um, so when Jay 
told me what the theme was going to be. As he said, when he looked it up, he got the phone book. And I was kind of struggling to narrow it down and figure out what movies to pick. Because based on a true story, you know, I even DM'd you guys about, and this isn't going to be one of my one of my picks, but I DM'd you guys about a movie that's very loosely based. And you were very open. But, and I, I typically try not to date when we record these, but this is kind of important. I went with a theme sort of within that theme. And that's because we're recording this episode on July 21st, 2019, which is this whole weekend has been the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing mission. And today, July 21st, is the 50th anniversary of the day that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot on the moon. Today is the 50th anniversary of the day we reached the moon. And for those who don't know me that well, I am a, I, I'm far from an expert, but I am a NASA and, and space exploration nerd. I love everything about what NASA tries to do because I love the idea of knowledge and exploration for the sake of knowledge and exploration. Once I kind of thought of that, of, okay, I want to do a theme of sort of NASA-related movies. That really narrowed it down, and I ended up coming up with three picks fairly quickly. And the first one is the one that I think is appropriate for our 100th movie recommendation, because I think it is hands down the best movie about spaceflight, about the history of NASA, and really a great movie just about the concept of science and knowledge for the sake of science and knowledge. And that is a 1983 Philip Kaufman film based on a 1979 Tom Wolfe book called The Right Stuff. Uh, for those who haven't seen The Right Stuff, it is a... a based on a true story, retelling of kind of two concurrent plot lines. One dealing with Chuck Yeager and his breaking of the sound barrier, and then two dealing with the seven astronauts who were selected for the Mercury missions, the first missions into space. And it's a it's an epic. It's over three hours long, but it is a riveting retelling of this time in history. And what is most impressive is the cast of this thing. Uh, a lot of these actors were kind of up and coming at the time, but we have Fred Ward, Dennis Quaid, Ed Harris, Scott Glenn, Sam Shepard, Lance Henriksen, Scott Pollan, who I've mentioned I sold luggage to before. I mean, the cast in this thing is just stacked. This movie is when I think of movies that are based on a true story and, and what that means, this is one of the first ones that pops into mind. Have either of you guys seen The Right Stuff? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I own The Right Stuff. I still have a, the double VHS copy of this film because I still have yes. a, uh, a stack of VHS in my closet. Not much more I can say uh, that you haven't already said. The cast is stellar. The movie is epic. And it is incredibly eye-opening about the entire uh, you know beginnings of the space race but there's one thing i just want to mention one of the things that i that really kind of opened my eyes and it's it's very true and it's very relevant today is and with this is getting i'm skirting around spoilers right now but as the mercury astronauts sort of one by one take their opportunities to go into space what's interesting is sort of the diminishing returns that the public sort of has towards what they're accomplishing. You know, the first person to go into space is, you know, ticker tape parade, you know, and by the time, you know, you get to Gus Grissom, it's just, a, all right, thanks. Who's up next? Like, I just thought it was really, I, to me, I thought it was so interesting just to see how the public's just sort of lost interest in this incredible thing that we were doing. So, uh, listen, great recommendation. Love the movie. Probably going to rewatch it sometime this week. Uh, it's it's incredible. Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, Mike, you, you hit a sweet spot for me. My brother and I grew up in North Alabama, about 75 miles west of Huntsville, which is was a big part of the space program, still is a big part of NASA and things. And he, for his entire life, has been obsessed with flight and space flight and stuff like that. And being a few years older than me, he would see stuff and introduce me to it. And my dad and him went and saw this in the theater. 
and he just couldn't stop talking about it. So we ended up renting it on VHS. I think we watched it on television. We had a, like a tape copy off of a Showtime for years that we just wore out. And when I got a little bit older, I, I pulled the book out of the library. I poured through it. Tom Wolfe's writing is amazing. Anyway, I would recommend it to anyone. But what I love about the way that movie is presented is that it doesn't shy away from what I call the nerd factor, which is the actual science and math it took and the people that did it to make that work. And also how all these flyboy jockeys come off like these super machismo guys. But what you have to realize is all of them are like mechanical engineer PhDs. They're all geniuses. They just talk, you know, like like rednecks or something. And that was the amazing thing is that all these people came together to pull spaceflight into its its existence. And I love stories about people that take nothing or start with nothing and end with something. And they, they have to change along the way. But uh, a, a fantastic first pick. I, 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 totally worthy of being the hundredth movie recommended in this series and is an absolute classic that everyone should see. I couldn't agree more. Like that's as far as being the 100th pick, you knocked it out of the park. You knocked it off the planet, if I'm being literal here. Thank you, fellas. I, I, I thought this one might be a good one for the 100th pick. And, and, you know, a couple of movies that I do want to just kind of shout out because I, I'm with everything you said, Jay. I love what I love about a lot of these type of movies. And, and my next couple of picks will also follow along with this is they embrace being smart. They embrace the the smart dedication and intelligence that it took to make these happen. Two movies that I love that aren't in the 20th century, um, but would fall in very much in line with this one is uh, Hidden Figures from a couple years ago. There's some problems with Kevin Costner's character if you just kind of throw his character out, but the way it shines a light on uh, the women who, you know, made these missions happen uh, is, is great. And then also it's fictional, but, I'm not sure I've ever seen a movie that embraces science nerds and, and science people saving the day like Ridley Scott's The Martian, yeah. which is also yeah. just a fantastic movie. Yeah, those are both yeah phenomenal films. Though It's so interesting that you said The Martian because last night when I got home from work, I wasn't in the mood to watch TV. I just wanted to sit outside because it was really nice outside and I put an audiobook of The Martian, the uh, the, mm. the the novel adaptation of, of the movie. And that's so ironic that you bring it up. It's just a great, great story. Absolutely. Go now ahead. I got to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, you know, I again, I said from the from the top um, that I picked something from every decade I was alive in the 20th century, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And I actually wasn't alive when this movie was released, but I grew up with this movie as a part of – my viewing experience, because my parents actually knew the person oh. that this was based on. I'm going to recommend 1973's Walking Tall, which stars Joe Don Baker in a career-making role as Sheriff Buford Pusser. And this was at a different time in America, and particularly in the Deep South. What was going on between Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama, there was a, a really a mafia of, you know, bootlegging and illegal casinos and drugs and all kinds of stuff running. And Buford Pusser was a pro wrestler back when pro wrestling started to become the thing that we know it is today. Maybe not the corporate thing that it is, but the thing that we all maybe grew up on. And he got out of it because he, he didn't like the um, theatrical part that was being brought in. So he came back to work at a sawmill with his dad. You know, to buy some land in, in Tennessee, where he was from, raise his family. And through a series of circumstances and really a, a horrific attack on himself, decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. He becomes a sheriff of McNary County, Tennessee. And along with his deputies, he went on a one man war against the Dixie Mafia. And he even lost an election over it. He had to go and become a town constable somewhere else. But he was, you know, the, the guy that. That he's known for carrying this big, you know, hunk of wood around, and that was actually just a prop that he he kind of carried as more of a, a a statement than anything. He never really used it the way it's in the movie, and the movie's a, a little liberal with its interpretation, but it hits the big points, and really how Buford got injured, the trial he went through, how he exposed corruption in the local uh, court system, and then how he took on things, and then a, a really big thing that I won't spoil here that happens that that ultimately really sends him uh, hell bent for leather against that. Mafia. So, have either of you seen the 1973 Walking Tall? I have not. I have unfortunately seen the remake. 
I have that's not. That's actually not bad, though. No. The, the, the remix is a different thing, but it's actually kind of fun. So that's a pass. Dude. Okay. The that's a pass. good in that. Dwayne Johnson has charisma for days. So that, sure. That's totally cool. Sure. But no, this, one, this one's been on my short list of films that I need to check out. So I'll defer to Mike on this one. Yeah, I've seen this one. I, I love this movie, Jay. This is a great recommendation. This is such a, you know, and, and I do kind of, I think we should throw a little bit of a caveat out here that when we say based on true story, folks, and, and we recommend these movies, we understand they're not documentaries right all of these movies have liberties taken with them and walking tall is very much about the legend of buford pusser but it is such a southern fried exploitation revenge story and i just i i haven't seen it for a while but i love it i love joe don baker in it he's perfect casting uh to play the role um this is this is the kind of movie that you know, I like to settle in on during those times where I just I want to watch some action or some exploitation. And uh, this is a great recommendation. I'm a less of a fan of the sequels. Uh, I haven't seen them for years. But if I remember right, they cast Bo Svensson instead of Jodon Baker. And I'm, I'm not a, I remember not being as big of a fan of those. But Jay, have you seen the sequels? Yeah, I've seen them both several times. I I wouldn't really even give them a big recommend. I think if you if you want to watch Walking Tall, it ends at a good point and it has a good scroll about sort of what Pusser went through. And then I would recommend the book written about his life that really this movie's based off of called The Twelfth of August. And it's it's a fantastic read, but you summed it up perfectly. It is Southern fi- fried seventies exploitation violent cinema, and it. It paved the way for so much other stuff, but the the way I can describe it to people that maybe haven't seen it is it's like watching a more serious version of Smokey and the Bandit crossed with like um, uh, The Wild Bunch or something like that. So it's Smokey and the Bandit meets The Wild Bunch and with a much more serious tone. And it is uh, it it, it'll make you uncomfortable, but I think it's supposed to. It was supposed to do that at its time and it still does all these decades later. So definitely one to check out. And Dana, if you haven't seen it, I, I definitely recommend you're knocking that one off your list sometime soon. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I lived in a very, very, I mean, a very rural part of Tennessee. That's when I was 14. My family uprooted us from Canada and we moved to Claiborne County, Tennessee. The town <laughs> I lived in was called Taswell with a T, Taswell, Tennessee, population of about 1800, and about 50 miles north of Knoxville. And, you know, there was police there, but you learn rather quickly that there was other people that were calling the shots in this small town. And, yeah. you know, like, like, I mean, I know this movie's 50 something years old, but there's still some folks out there that, uh, I think still can, can carry their weight around. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, especially again, if, you, if you're a crime junkie like I am and, and you like that kind of stuff, this is definitely a story that you may have forgotten over time now, but it's, it's worth revisiting. All right. So for my, I decided to go with the theme as well. And I was thinking around, kicking around, and, and like you, Jay, there's, 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 I, I, I'll admit, I googled based on a true story. I was, uh, I was actually texting my friend Kristen, who's been on the show a couple times, and I was like, hey, listen, we're, we're doing this based on a true story, and she called me, and we were kind of going over, you know, a bunch of movies because I was like, there's, there's just, just, just running the gamut of films, and then I, I really settled on a particular theme because what are we doing right now? We're doing a podcast, but what is a podcast? We're doing radio, and I said, you know what? There's some good, based on a true story, movies that have to do with radio and being a radio disc jockey. And I said, that's it. That's the theme I'm going with. So the first movie I want to recommend is a Oliver Stone film that is often overlooked. It's often overshadowed. It's often not even thought about because it, it sandwiched. It came out in 1988 and it's sandwiched between Wall Street and Born on the Fourth of July. It's a movie that was made for about four million bucks and made. They don't even think it made its budget back. It stars Eric Bogosian and this is a career making role for him. And the movie is called Talk Radio. Now, Talk Radio is loosely based on a DJ, a, 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 I should, I, I don't want to use the term DJ, a talk radio personality, a very controversial talk radio personality by the name of Alan Berg. And I can't go into, really can't talk much about his career because it would go into heavy spoilers about the film. But this is, the movie is directed by Oliver Stone. It was co-written by Oliver Stone, but it was based on a play that Bogosian had had performed, had written and performed many times. It's a very small, very contained film, but the performances, particularly by Bogosian, are riveting. 
And the why this man is not a bigger and more well-known star is befuddles me. I have no idea. A couple of the great, strong supporting cast in this. We've got John C. McGinley, who's a regular, an Oliver Stone regular. You've got Alec Baldwin in a fantastic role. And Bogosian plays a, a, a talk radio personality by the name of Barry Champlain. And he is in Dallas, Texas. And he is he goes against the grain of what would be probably considered you know, the proper etiquette for for that particular city. And he's an incredibly controversial talk radio personality. And he goes on a bit of an odyssey. And the movie is really broken into two parts. It's it's kind of takes place in the in the moment where he's just going through some career arcs. But it also at the same time kind of, kind of does like a Godfather Part 2 thing where it has several flashbacks about how he got into radio. So, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you first, Mike, have you seen talk radio? Oh, yeah. It's actually one of my favorite Oliver Stone movies. Um, probably top two or three. And, and primarily because of Eric Bogosian. I mean, this is if you want to see sort of a, a one person tour de force performance, this is a movie that you should check out because he is giving one of the best performances uh, I think I've ever seen in my life. And, and part of that's because he had so much practice from from doing it as a play, but he is so riveting and so good in this. And I agree with you, Dana. I, I think it's kind of a, a shame that he didn't become a bigger star. I mean, I will always shout him out as the bad guy from Under Siege 2 because he's phenomenal in that. Uh, but uh, this is a great recommendation. I, I unfortunately haven't seen the movie in probably far too long, but uh, I think this is a good recommendation. And I think you're right. When people talk about great Oliver Stone movies, this one tends to get forgotten and it really shouldn't because I think it's one of his best. Uh, before I, J- Jay, just before I pass it over to you real quick, I just want to point out, Mike, that there's well, to both of you, actually, but I just want to point out, there's a particular scene in the movie where he gives essentially an on-air monologue that is so unbelievable, and it's done in one take, and the way Stone just sort of Stone and the cinematographer just kind of bring the camera in a 360 around him and around him and around him while he's talking on the microphone. I mean, this guy, you could listen to him for hours. Jay, what did you think of talk radio? I haven't seen it in a number of years either, like Mike, but I watched this one. I caught up with it in college as I was studying radio and broadcasting and all that kind of stuff at the time. And the thing I think that everyone forgets about Oliver Stone as a filmmaker, because he is a really talented director and great with the camera and and setting mood, is how good of a writer of dialogue this guy is. And there are so many scripts of movies you love from the 70s and 80s that this guy did uncredited punch up work on that are probably going to be forgotten to the sands of time because he's sort of known for a certain bit of other films now. But this is an absolute dialogue tour de force. Uh, and everybody knows you. And again, I know him mostly from the years he was on Law and Order Criminal Intent. He's fabulous as the captain on that. I think this is maybe the second time I've recommended that series to you, Dana. So you got to watch it, yes. especially when he's the captain <laughs> at some point. But he's awesome on this. But the, the thing I remembered about this movie, and this is going to make you two laugh. Do you know who composed the soundtrack for this? You know, you're going to tell me. And I'm going to be like, I, I know the answer, but I can't remember. It's just right on the tip of my head, uh, tip of my tongue. Mike, do you know? I do not. Stuart Copeland, the drummer from The Police. That's it. Who is one of my favorite all-time rock drummers. He's he's a he's a strange dude, but he is a brilliant composer. And a lot of what you love about police music, like Sting gets a ton of credit for. The other two guys in the band did a lot of work and, as well. It was really a triad. And Stuart Copeland has a great mood-setting soundtrack that can only be described. It, it puts you in the perfect place of a disc jockey sitting in a control booth, cigarettes blazing, and all that attitude blaring out over the waves. And there's a certain way the music has to work for that. And I remember this movie because of the music and Stuart Copeland in it. But great recommendation, Dan. Awesome. I also... Go ahead. Sorry, I also have to. Sorry, I have to add for Stuart Copeland. He also did the theme song for the original Equalizer TV show, yes. which is one of the best TV themes ever. Oh. And it angers me so greatly that the Denzel Washington movies didn't make that a pivotal part of their their soundtrack because mm-hmm. that theme is phenomenal. Let me ask you a I question. Agree. Let me ask you a question. I have not seen in either of the Denzel Washington uh, Equalizer films. Does he drive a Jaguar in those films? Uh, I haven't seen the second one. He does not in the first one. But if I, remember, I don't think he does in the second one either. No. But but the in the original TV show, did, wasn't he always standing in front of a Jaguar? Or, did, or am I thinking of something completely different? I think you're right. I think that's the jag in the shadows. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. 
It's been, it's been, uh, let's just put it this way. It's been about 25 years since I've seen the Equalizer yeah. TV show, but I remember loving it when I was younger. I, yeah, it, that's a great theme. Good pull, Mike, because I, I'd forgotten that little note, but yeah, that's great. Yeah, this th- is a cool movie. It's, it's, again, it's one that nobody thinks about from the director's lexicon. So great pull. Absolutely. And just real quick, just, I'm, I'm just reminded of that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street when Rob Reiner is trying to watch the Equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps getting the phone, keeps ringing. Anyway, anyway, Mike, what you got for your second pick? So sticking with my theme of NASA movies, and I also realized apparently uh, Jay is my Joe Johnston uh, go-to guy because the last time he was on, I recommended The Rocketeer, which was a Joe Johnston <laughs> movie. And this time I'm going to recommend a Joe Johnston movie. The, the movie that I'm going to recommend is one that I could actually see a lot of people not liking because it's a very uh, – feel-good movie. It's a very inspirational movie, and a lot of people look, I'm as cynical as they come, but every once in a while, I'm just a sucker for these kind of movies. When they're done by Joe Johnston, you can usually count on them being done you know, exceptionally well. Um, And this also is important because it's one of the very earliest performances of an actor who has turned into, I think, one of our our most interesting actors. Uh, He's currently in in theaters now in Spider-Man Far From Home. And so what I'm going to recommend is it just sneaks under the radar for our cutoff date. It's 1999's October Sky. And October Sky is based on the true story of Homer Hickam, who was a kid growing up in a uh, rural coal mining town in West Virginia who upon seeing the launch of Sputnik 1, decides that he wants to build rockets and become a NASA engineer. And and Homer in the movie is played by a 17-year-old Jake Gyllenhaal, giving what I think is still, to this day, one of his best performances. And he he gets some friends together and they start building these rockets. And again, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but he has conflict with his dad, who uh, is the, the manager of the mine, and he's played by the Always incredible, always amazing, never given a bad performance in his career, Chris Cooper. And their relationship and their interactions, as well as Laura Dern playing Homer's teacher, giving another phenomenal performance, make this, I think, just a a really nice, likable movie to watch. Um, and again, it's, it's one of those kind of what Jay said about the right stuff. So much of this is about these these coal mining kids learning math and learning science, you know, seeing that they want to build rockets and then retroactively figuring out they have to teach themselves all these skills to learn how to build rockets. And it really is kind of, it sounds so cliched, but it really is just an inspiring, uplifting movie. And and it's one, I just watched it this morning, actually, for the first time in a few years. And it's one that just, it really does get to me every time I watch it. Again, I know if you're going into it with a very cynical mindset, I could see it turning you off, but I really, really do love this movie. Have either of you seen this one? Yeah, I've seen it. It's probably been three or four years since I've seen I think it's a great recommendation. It's a great pick. I love this movie. I saw it in the theater. And I, I uh, and remember, this is 99. This is when there's a lot of batshit crazy movies coming out. You know, Matrix, Fight Club, all, all these off-the-wall movies. All, he- you know, heavy R-rated films that are just phenomenal. And I settled in to see this one, which I believe is a PG-rated film, which was a little out of my wheelhouse. I was 21 at the time, and I was a cinema rebel. I only wanted to see the, you know, the good stuff, as I would say it. I love this film. And I love it for a couple of reasons. One, Jake Gyllenhaal is excellent. His friends, they're all great. Uh, Laura Dern, very good. She turns in a very good performance on this one. But you're right. This is the Chris Cooper show whenever he's on screen. And he plays a guy who you identify, you empathize with him. You empathize with both characters because, you know, Chris Cooper's character, the father, he is really grounded in, in the only reality that he knows. Whereas Homer, you know, has these aspirations to, to want to do really big things where his, at the same time, his father knows that that's the chances of that happen are slim to none. And it's sort of the, the, how they butt heads with each other. It's a, it's a really good dynamic. So I, I think that's a, just a fantastic pick and I, I'm looking forward to seeing that again. Jay, what are your thoughts? Oh, I've just copied into the, the chat window for my two friends here the notes I had because this was one of my alternate picks. So, Mike, you and I are like speaking the same languages here, uh, too, because I had pulled this one as, as a 
possible throw, but I had a feeling one of you might bring it up, and I'm glad you did, Mike. Uh, it's a fantastic thing. What, what, I, what I love about it, and, if you, and Homer Hickam is actually a pretty good follower on Twitter, by the way. He's a great author, in addition to being you know, a famous engineer, very personable. Uh, he'll tell you that, like, you know, my dad was a, really wasn't that much of a hard ankle about a lot of this. A lot of that was done for the movie. He said, but there's a great scene where there's this kid picking on all of us, and, and one father just starts to wail on him, and his dad steps in and says, you need to calm down. He said, my father did that on a regular basis. And it's it's a great moment for Chris Cooper in the film. And it, it that doesn't really give away much of the plot, but it's just a good character study. And uh, yeah, you're right. Joe Johnston makes what I call Spielberg light movies. Yeah. And and they're almost like to a T and you can see the touches in it. And that's not a bad thing necessarily either. I think it's actually good. And I love this movie. It's a great heartwarming story. And if it inspires people to go and read about the real Homer Hickam and all those, you know, rocket boys and stuff like that, more power to it. A great pick and a, and a good fun movie. We're several movies in and we've all seen them so far, right? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. Let's well, keep- I just know you haven't seen Walking Tall. No, oh, God, that's right. That's, I just want to get through an episode where I've seen all three movies. That's all I want. <laughs> I've been curious about throwing another alternate at the end if you've seen it. We'll love to see sure, it. sure, absolutely. One of these days, I, listen, I got a reputation I'm trying to keep uh, keep together, and it's slowly crumbling with every episode of the 20th Century Movie Club. Uh, not at all, man. This thing's supposed to be educational, right? And I, I, I know as a host, Dana, like I love it when one of my compadres brings up a movie I haven't seen because I get to play the newbie. That's the best yeah. role to play. So much of the stuff on Filmstrip I've grown up with and seen, so I'm getting other people's reactions to it. It's fun to be in that seat sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Plus, Mark, oh, sorry, go ahead, plus Mike. Our, our, our tens episodes would be really fucking boring if we had seen everything. So, you know, yeah. it gives us something to talk about for those. You make a great point. You make a great point. All right. Jay, what do you got for your second pick? Well, if, as I, I'm out of myself as a mark for good true crime stories, the other thing that I will always put money down for at a theater or rental or whatever for is political thrillers. I love them in all shapes and sizes. Fake, real, semi-fake, whatever. I will take it any way I can get it. And one I got exposed to early in life, probably earlier than I should have watched it because my dad is also a big sucker for these things, is a 1985 movie called The Falcon and the Snowman. Starring Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. Before I go any further, have either of you seen this film? I have not. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, no, listen, I'm just saying I'm very, very familiar with this movie. And, you know, when Mike and I were recording earlier tonight, I was like, all right, we were recording earlier today. There was another movie, which I won't, I won't mention, that I hadn't seen yet. And I was like, oh, that's going to be the top of my list. I'm going to have a double feature tonight because the time has come for me to see it. So, no, I haven't. Mike, please. I, I can't help you, Dana. I haven't seen it either. Oh, um, okay. I, I'll be happy. I'll be happy to talk about Timothy Hutton when when the time when you want me to, Jay, because I can talk about Timothy Hutton forever. But unfortunately, this is one Timothy Hutton movie that I have not seen. Uh, guys, you got to You got to put this one before your eyes. And granted, it had been decades since I saw it. But when I was going through lists and thinking of stuff, I ran across this one and I thought, there's a good chance at least one of you hasn't seen it. I didn't think I would get the fastball by both of you. So real, real excited about this. This is directed by John Schlesinger, who's probably most known for Midnight Cowboy, but directed a lot of stuff. And it is an absolute tour de force by two young actors really hitting their, their prime. And it's a true story. And what you see on screen is pretty close to how it went down. If you listen to both of them who are both still alive and we'll talk about it, these two young men, not to spoil it completely, but they essentially get a little disillusioned with the Cold War and you know America, and they start stealing secrets and selling them to the Soviets through a couple of back channels. And then what what the movie's really about, though, and, and it's neat how they they show all the tradecraft and how these two complete amateurs you know are trying to do this. But David Suchet is in this as a as a bit part, um, and it only has a few scenes, but he has this great bit of dialogue with Timothy Hutton where Timothy Hutton is trying to tell him, man, I don't, I'm not a professional. I'm not like you. I don't know what you want to do. And he looks at him and says, the moment you took money for something that wasn't yours and gave it to me, you became a professional. And what the, the movie is really about is youth kind of gone awry and how both sides in the Cold War were wrong and right about each other and did little about it for the last decade or so other than manipulate youth from both sides. It is it is an absolutely cool movie, but what it's not, and I want to put a disclaimer out, it is not an action movie. 
There is nary an action scene in it. It is a lot of talking, a lot of taking pictures in the dark. It's a lot of sliding envelopes through doors. And it's a lot of these two guys trying to keep each other sane and alive through this entire process. So can't recommend Falcon and Snowman enough. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. Yeah, I'm going to have to check this one out, too, because, again, I feel shameful. So I love Timothy Hutton. I love, love, love Timothy Hutton. One of my all-time favorite television shows is a show called Leverage that he stars in that's incredible. I love him in Ordinary People, which is 100% a stay tuned for, yes. for a later episode. I even like him in Turk 182. But for whatever reason, I haven't seen The Falcon and the Snowman, and I feel shame. Shame, Jay. You have made me <laughs> feel shame. There is no shame in it because, again, this is one that – flies under the radar for a lot of people. I made a, a splash when it came out. And then, you know, again, we're talking about the mid to late 80s guys. Cold War movies were were getting churned out like candy. You know, I mean, it was just all the time. So it's one that, that slips by a lot of people. And again, if it hadn't been for my dad and kind of his stuff that he was into. Um, and honestly, he showed it to me, I think, because I was such a big James Bond fan because of him that he was like, well, you need to see kind of what the real world is like. And um, he knew it was a true story. And again, it's an amazing tale, but I, I highly recommend people watch the movie. All right. So for my second pick, uh, again, keeping with the, th- the keeping with the theme of radio, I um, I wanted to look back. There's a movie that came out in 1997, and it's about the the beginning stages of the career of one of the, if not the most famous radio disc jockey or shock jock, if you will, uh, in American history. Somebody that is still going strong to this day. Somebody who has not been without controversy throughout his entire career. Of course, I'm talking about Howard Stern and the movie I'm talking about is 1997's Private Parts. Look, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that this movie has a lot of toilet humor in it. It really does. It has a lot of what Howard Stern became infamous for it. But I watched this the other day, and it, it I mean, for those who haven't seen it, it basically charts Howard Stern's career from when he first got into radio at college all the way up until the 1990s. Obviously, this movie came out 22 years ago, so he has had subsequently had quite the career after that. And I, I would hope that someday that he would do a follow-up to this. The movie is not without its issues. But at its core, there is a love story between Howard Stern and his wife, the one person that keeps him grounded throughout the most insane things that he most most of the time is responsible for creating in his life. I think the movie is really well done. I have a great I had a great time watching. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater 22 years ago. And I um I'm a big fan of Howard Stern, and this movie is really inspiring to me in a lot of ways because he found himself up against a lot of adversity. He got fired a lot of times, and he just persevered. And one of the other things that he did was when he got a core group of people around him, you know, his his Robin, for example, Fred, he kept that core group with him wherever he went. And if one was let go, he would go with them. And I just think it's a really inspiring story, which I know a lot of the humor does not translate well in 2019, but I think it's a good movie. Mike, have you seen Private Parts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really good movie. I I, I think it's one of those, again, this is the interesting thing about the theme that Jay brought up. I almost think it's a better movie the less you know about Howard Stern in real life. Uh, You know, because like you said, the love story between him and Mary McCormick is the backbone of the movie. It's fantastic. They're no longer together, so it does kind of undercut. That's why I think if you can just take it as a movie sort of encapsulated I think it's a really good movie Stern gives a very good performance and a lot of people will tell you you know playing yourself isn't actually the easiest thing in the world to do and he gives a really good performance Mary McCormick is phenomenal in it you know Betty Thomas I think directs the hell out of it a lot of the humor like you said doesn't necessarily hold up but it's not I don't think it's quite as dated as you know a lot of movies of kind of this type might be and uh, Howard gets his card pulled a lot in the movie, which is one of the things I, I really kind of liked is he does when he crosses lines, he has people, you know, call him on it. Um, and I, I think it I, I think it's the best possible Howard Stern. I've enjoyed Howard Stern at times in my life. I've also thought he was kind of 
you know, over the top at times in my life. I think this movie is the best possible Howard Stern. He's never going to be better, funnier, or more likable than he is in this movie. Uh, So I I think it's a good recommendation because I think it is a legitimately good movie. And it's a movie that had no business being as good as it is. And it's a legitimately well done movie. Uh, So I think it's a good recommendation. Jay, have you seen it? Yeah, I have seen it, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that last statement. It has no business being as good as it is. And it is, in large part for me, because Paul Giamatti is amazing in this movie. Is a bit of a composite character of station managers and program directors that Stern had to work with in New York. And watching Giamatti just chew the screen up in front of Howard Stern, who is not an actor, but then Stern being able to give it back to him. They have great scenes together. I, I, for me, Paul Giamatti is the thing I remember about this movie because I was never a big Stern head. I didn't just dislike him necessarily. I just didn't listen to him. I knew who he was. And when I saw this movie, I think it came on cable when I was in college or something. And I thought, yeah, I've heard a lot about it. I'll watch it. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. And I've seen it a few times since. And everything I always go to is, is Giamatti in it. He's so good for the time that he's in the movie. And it, it is good because in a lot of biopics, they tend to you know, whitewash everything or really gloss over the hard times or they make the hard times so Disney-fied. Stern pulls no punches on himself. And I can appreciate him for that. And appreciate the way Betty Thomas put that film together for that. So, yeah, definitely a cool one to check out if you haven't seen it. Whether you like Stern or not, and I agree, it's better the less you really know about him if you just watch it. And and, and uh, honorable mention or a, a shout out also to, you know, like what I said about how he brings his, his core group with him. I mean, Robin's in the movie. I mean, the, these mm-hmm. all, all of his 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 compadres, if you will, they're they're all playing themselves for for the most part in this movie, and they all do a really good job. I think Robin is excellent in the film as well. Yeah, she's she's very good at it. I agreed completely. All right, so we are one, two, three, four, zero, zero, zero. We're Jay. We're Jay. No, Mike. Mike, we're to no, you. We're me. Yeah. We're, all right, so yeah. Mike, Mike, we're off to you for your third pick of the episode. Uh, so my third pick, based on my first two picks, is going to be. Zero surprise. I I think (laughs) people have probably already figured it out. Uh, But it does tie into something you said earlier, Dana, which is one of the things you liked about The Right Stuff was how all these Mercury pilots, as they were, you know, each one, the public got less and less and less interested. And I think this movie really kind of hits on that because they got less interested and then we hit the moon. So public interest spiked again. And then after, you know, going to the moon kind of became... Oh, sort of par for the course, not that big of a deal. The public stopped caring until three astronauts almost didn't fucking make it. And so the uh, last movie I'm going to recommend is uh, 1995's Ron Howard movie, Apollo 13. Now, this is not a shocking recommendation. This isn't some out of left field thing. I mean, a lot of people are familiar with Apollo 13, but some people might not be. And I do think it's important to highlight this is a really good movie. Um, I Ron Howard is a director that I think is interesting because he's almost the definition of a workman-like director. He's made some very good movies. He's made some very bad movies. And he's made everything in between. But when he's given the right material and the right resources, he can kick out something like this. This is, I think, his best movie. It, it is, I think, one of the most riveting based on a true story movies I've ever seen. It's also the very definition of a, if I see it on, if I'm flipping through the channels and I see it on like TNT, I have to either skip it. I have to skip it really quickly because if I watch it for more than 15 seconds, I'm fucked and I'm just going to watch the whole rest of the movie. For those who don't know, Apollo 13 stars Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, uh, and a variety of other people, but they play the three astronauts on the Apollo 13 mission going to land on the moon when something goes wrong, part of the ship blows up. And it's up to them and everybody at NASA to try and figure out how to get them home. And if you know anything about it at all, you know what the end is. I'm not giving anything away. You can Google it. So the fact that Howard is able to make this so tense and so riveting. I mean, I literally knew the ending when I saw it in the theater and I was still on the edge of my seat wondering if like, well, are they just going to are they going to do even though 
Tarantino hadn't made Inglorious Bastards at the time. Are they going to do a Tarantino thing and, you know, change history here? Because I really wasn't sure if these guys were going to survive this. And yet, you know, you know the end. This is such a testament to what good Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking can be when it's at its best. This is a movie that had a big budget, had great special effects, had a lot of talent behind it, and, you know, ended up making a buttload of money and getting nominated for a buttload of Academy Awards. Uh, I think it should have actually won Best Picture. I won't get into my rant about that. But nonetheless, this is such a good Hollywood movie. I love it to death. I've probably seen it 25 or 30 times. Um, I'm assuming both of you have seen Apollo 13. I, uh, like you, saw it in the theater, 95, knew the ending because we had been studying it in school. We had been studying uh, in science class. We've been studying um, uh, the history of NASA, knew the ending. And like you, was white knuckled in my seat during the, well, you know, what I'm talking about during the ending, during the, during the whole movie. This is, very rarely do I say this, but this might be the definition of a, of a damn near perfect film in, in, in so many different aspects. I, I cannot right now, and I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I cannot think of one thing wrong with this film. And I'm open, I'd open that up to discussion with both of you, but I, I stand by that. This is easily Ron Howard's best film. And I like Ron Howard. I like, I like a lot of his movies, but easily his best film. And it is such a story about persistence. And never giving up. Uh, I got nothing else to say. It's an amazing pick. Jay, what are your thoughts on Apollo 13? Almost Xerox of you. Saw it in theater. Seen it a million times. Love everything about it. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to like my teams and stuff that I'm leading at work and done the whole, we got to put that in that using nothing but that line yeah. you know, from, from the movie, which is a real thing. And I, I love the whole spirit of it. It's completely captured. Our actors in space are great. It's one of Bacon's all-time awesome performances. I love that guy anyway. Uh, but great performance by him. But for me, it's the it's three people on the ground that really just make this movie awesome. Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, and then Kathleen Quinlan, who's playing Jim Lovell, Tom Hanks' wife in the movie. The three of them grounding the, sort of what is going on at home while these three are dealing with all that stuff up in space – is so good. It's it's an ensemble cast. It's just a fabulous. I'm glad you recommended it, Mike. When I was putting them my list together, I started to type the words Apollo, and I got to like the second L, and I said, "There's no way one of these two guys isn't mentioned in this one." Erased it and moved on to something else uh, because it's just a it's a great story. And the weird part about this, as much as you think it may be like Ron Howard and glossy schmaltzy stuff, Jim Lovell will tell you that's about 94 percent of it. And that's pretty darn good, you know, when there was that much drama to be told. And uh, credit to the filmmakers for knowing that they could just lean on the real life parts uh, to tell it. And uh, great performances by everybody, because to be a big space movie, it's really contained in a couple of rooms. It's the capsule and it's mission control. And that's what makes it so neat. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And I, I actually read after I saw this, I read Lovell's book. And yeah, uh, I mean, again, it's there's some stuff, but for the most part, this is one of the more accurate based on a true story movies uh, that's out there. And I think part of that was because everybody that was involved was actively involved in the production of the movie. And Howard really did want to do credit to this story. This story didn't need added drama, right? The story itself was the drama. And Jay, I totally agree. Uh, the the people on the ground, um, you know, and it's interesting because I recommended The Right Stuff, which had Ed Harris playing John Glenn. And now, you know, 15 years later, we get Ed Harris playing Gene Krantz. Apparently, Ed Harris likes space movies. And he gives very different but equally phenomenal performances in both movies. So this is I, I'm glad you both have seen it. And you, you both echo what I said about it, because I I love this movie so much. I mean, the, the big message that has always resonated with me, and I use it at work as well, is failure is not an option. You have to figure it out. There's no other option. I love that. I mean, that's the message you get from that movie is no matter how little you think you have to complete something or to, to do something, you have to do it because failure is not an option. It's not oh, looking. I'm getting chills. It's such a great movie. Jay, how about your third pick for the episode? 
Well, I'm going to take the car now and take a wide swing left into based on a true story, comma, fantasy land version, because that's the best way I can describe this next movie. And it's so funny, Dana. We didn't compare notes ahead of time. You recommended an Oliver Stone movie. I'm going to recommend an Oliver Stone movie. I'm going to recommend 1991's JFK. Oliver Stone's batshit crazy conspiracy theory movie about the New Orleans district attorney, Jim Garrison, who brought an investigation about the JFK assassination and tied it into some crazy conspiracy theory about a New Orleans businessman and Lee Harvey Oswald and all these other people brought it to trial and introduced the Zapruder film into the public lexicon. And, and then also that story, the way stone tells it introduced the phrase back into the left into all of our you know vocabularies, whether we liked it or not, it's been parried <laughs> in the Simpsons everywhere else, uh, but you've got an unbelievable cast here. You've got Kevin Costner in his prime. You've got Joe Pesci in one of the craziest things you'll ever see him do. And that's saying something for Pesci. Kevin Bacon has an unreal just a cameo in this thing. Tommy Lee Jones is in it playing a character so different than anything else he ever plays. Gary Oldman is Lee Harvey Oswald. John Candy has a memorable scene as a sweaty businessman or lawyer in a, in a fish restaurant. The movie is bonkers and the theory is hot garbage. All right. I'm going to put that out there right now, but this movie is so much fun to watch and it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole and get your, and it's so compelling that by the end of it, you have to check yourself back into reality and go like, yeah, there's no way that that happened, but it is amazing to watch. So JFK is what I lay out for my pick number three. I will start. That came out in 91 or 92. 91. Okay, so I remember 1991. I was 13 years old. I remember when this movie came out. I remember just how damn controversial this movie was. I mean, on a level that I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if we've seen since then. I mean, they were doing, they were doing hour long news programs on network television where they were having panel discussions about this film. I remember my grandparents coming to visit who I didn't even think ever watched movies, insisted on my parents taking them to the video store so they could rent this and watch this. I wasn't even allowed to watch it because it was R rated, but my grandparents were in the living room with my parents watching JFK and I had to stay out. Now, having said all that, oh, this is a movie, and I mean that in a very positive way. This is a good, good movie and watchable for a movie, especially if you watch the director's cut, which I think comes in at about three hours and 12 or three hours and 20 minutes long. It yeah. has got a pace like you wouldn't believe breakneck speed for a film like this. Yeah, I'll get into you. I, I, I We won't even get into the discussion about the theories that are brought up, but it's, it's very interesting and the performances are top notch, uh, easily – you know, I love Oliver Stone. He did an episode, career retrospective episode on him. And I think this is easily my, it's, if it's not my favorite, it's my second favorite Oliver Stone film of all time. And that's saying a lot because I really love the guy. This is a great recommendation. And, and, and I'm telling you for listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, you, you're in for a treat because of the cast and the performances, like you said, Jay, are so out of the wheelhouse of a lot of these actors that you're used to seeing on screen. So it's it's pretty remarkable. Mike, what do you think? So I have very conflicted feelings about this movie. Um, I think it's Jay. First of all, let me say I think it's a great recommendation. I think it's 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 one that you know for no other reason than cultural importance, right? This, like you said, Dana, this thing was huge when it came out. It was there were. TV specials and people were talking about it in classes and, you know, if you were in school and stuff like that. I haven't seen it for a very long time, so I'm going to take this opportunity to revisit it. What I do remember, and, and again, Dana, you're right, we won't, don't need to get into the details, but Jay, you said that the theory is hot garbage. And uh, I, that was a thing that had been, was kind of a barrier to me. So from a cinematic standpoint, I think it's a phenomenal movie. The acting is really good. The cast is really good. Like I said, I'm going to take this opportunity to watch it again. What I remember it from most is honestly when I was in college, I went to a very small liberal arts school and word had gotten around on my campus that I was basically the master of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And so I will always remember JFK because it's one of the foundational movies to play the six degrees of Kevin Bacon because there's so many people in the movie. So almost every 
connection goes through JFK. Uh, but other than that, it's been so long since I've seen it uh, that I don't have much else to add, but I will take this opportunity to rewatch it because I'd like to view it more as just a movie than as the, what else it brings to the table. Yeah, I think you have to watch this one as a a movie. It's it's based roughly on a true story, and yes, there was a trial and all this. But what if you just watch the performances and the way Stone allows these characters who are the investigative team that's working with Garrison roll out the stuff they're talking about? It's not just them sitting around the table talking about it. There's that, but then you see it you know playing out in the sort of side frames and stuff like that. It it is a fun movie, and for a three hour movie, even as in the theatrical cut. It's a total popcorn movie. I mean, it really is. And I, I, this movie, I feel like, launched a cottage industry of conspiracy theory discussion and all that kind of stuff that is still around to this day. And this movie, is it was a firestorm for that. So I'm glad you brought that out, Dana. And Mike, if you ever get around to watch it again, I'd love to hear your perspective as an actual attorney on this whole circus that gets put on screen, because I can't imagine that's anything close to what it would have been like, but uh, it would be neat to hear. Oh, I will for sure be reaching out to you, dude. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. One, one thing I want to point out, and this is really an interesting thing to think about, is this movie came out as pre-internet. This is pre-internet. This is pre-social media. This is pre-us having access to everything. So for a lot of people, a whole lot of people, this introduced the notion of there being a conspiracy against the president like it i i mean this was this kicked mm -hmm. off an industry if you will the conspiracy theory industry i think the spark that lit the fire was jfk yeah i, I, think, I totally agree I, yeah yeah i think that's fair because and that i think for me was part of the problem because at that time because again you know dana you mentioned you were but with like 13, I'm a few years older than you. I was actually reading uh, Gerald Posner's book, Case Closed, at the time the movie came out. And so I was already paying attention to the JFK stuff. And you're right. It really was. I mean, a conspiracy theory. You know, Capricorn One is a movie that I probably won't ever recommend, even though I think it's got some value. Same thing, right? Pre-internet age, these movies that are based on conspiracies are sort of how a lot of other people hear about these conspiracies. And for me, that was a thing that, that had always kind of sat wrong with me. But that's why I think if I revisit this now, I might have a different take on it because, I mean... 4chan exists. The internet has turned us into a garbage dumpster fire of conspiracy-believing lunatics. So the fact that Oliver Stone brings talent and skill to the presentation, I think I'll have a much more positive opinion of it if I revisit it now. Let me uh, let me try to round out the episode. With, I'm trying to think here, because that, that was a pretty powerful pick right there. So I'm going to round out the episode in keeping with the theme of the, the radio disc jockey, I am going to go to 1987. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the buildup. I'm just going to tell you the movie is Good Morning Vietnam. It is stars Robin Williams, directed by Barry Levinson. Uh, if you've never seen the movie, Robin Williams plays Adrian Cronauer. He is an Air Force radio DJ. He's put on the Armed, Service Net, Armed Services Network in Vietnam. Really at the, I think that the, 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 not, I wouldn't say the beginning stages of Vietnam, but before the heavy, heavy escalation. And, what do you get when you put Robin Williams as a uh, Air Force morning radio DJ in Vietnam? You get uh, one of, if not the funniest performance and of Robin Williams' career, but also one of the more heartfelt movies that he's done. It is a blast to watch from start to finish. It is, I think, the movie that really introduced everyone to how gifted of an improviser that Robin Williams is. It's got a great supporting cast with uh, everyone from J uh, JT Nelson to Forrest Whitaker. The list goes on and on. It's one of my all-time favorite films. It was one that was going to be recommended whether I chose to do a theme about uh, radio DJs on Based on the True Story, like, like when we did Based on True, when you presented the idea, Jay, of Based on True Story, like this was the one of the first things that popped in my head because it's a movie I got to see, I think a year after it came out. My parents and my sister, they, they bought the soundtrack. We used to listen to the soundtrack because it, between each song, it would have the, the actual broadcast that he would do in the movie. And it's just, uh, it's a movie that I watched again a few days ago. I think it still holds up and... Mike, what do you think of Good Morning Vietnam? Oh, it's it's great. I love it. I haven't seen it for quite a while, but I still 
pretty much remember most of it. And, and I just, I think it's great. You know, this was Barry Levinson at his strongest. And this was such a hugely important movie for Robin Williams because he had done Garp, but he was still kind of considered, you know, a, a comic. He was a stand-up comic. He was Mork. He was this goofy guy. And this this started a run. I just I just pulled up. You know, some of the movies that he made after this one, he went from this to Dead Poets Society to Awakenings. I mean, this really was his coming out movie as a dramatic actor, even though he's very funny and very over the top. The movie doesn't work if he's not bringing that dramatic weight to it. And Levinson really knew how to channel him. You know, when you think of comedic actors, be it Williams or Jim Carrey or Eddie Murphy, what really makes their best performances is the directors who know how to channel them and they don't just let them do whatever they want. They channel that energy, they channel that creativity and and Levinson perfectly does that here. Uh, I love this recommendation. I think this is a great movie. Jay, what do you think? Dana, this is a big one for me because one of my radio, television and film professors and and uh, undergrad was a big Adrian Cronauer fan. She had seen him speak, and I think that he was already into his law career at this point. And we actually got him to come to campus. Oh, to you're talk, kidding! You're kidding! Which was awesome. And he absolutely friggin' hated this uh, because this is not what he did. He he was a little over the top. He was not what Robin Williams was. And later in his life, he came to a kind of appreciate the notoriety that it, it brought him and stuff like that. But the thing about Adrian Cronauer, and this is what Robin Williams understood is he was a Mensa member, and he was a genius. And he chose to channel that through his ability to entertain people and to make argument and things like that and to push the boundary. And hearing him talk was great. Watching Robin Williams do this, though, it, it is a feat to watch him go from 90 to nothing, you know, all the billions of impressions he could just roll off in a row, right, to doing those heartfelt scenes with the kid that he's trying to befriend and, and all of the drama that is Vietnam. It's, it's what got him did, Poet Society. It's what really launched that next part of his career. And the thing that I always took away from this was it, it may not be exactly true to how it was, but what Williams put on the screen brought things to light that people weren't ready to talk about yet about Vietnam. When this movie yeah. came out, and Vietnam had only been over for maybe like 11, 12 years at this point, people were still weren't ready to talk about Vietnam. And movies like this and Platoon and, and some of the other ones really in the late 80s put that into, no, we need to have a conversation about Vietnam now. Or we're ready to talk about it. And it's a great Robin Williams performance. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I encourage people not only watch this, go read about the real Adrian Cronauer. He was an absolutely astonishing uh, person and accomplished so much. He passed away in 2018, uh, but did a lot of cool stuff and was just an interesting character at a very different time in, in our country's history. But yeah, this movie is fantastic and kudos to both of you for calling out Levinson's ability to channel the energy that was Robin Williams because few people ever really knew how to put that in the bottle and make it work. And he's one of them that did. Yeah, Can he, I actually, please, sorry, no, no, please, please. Uh, yeah, please. So I just, I wanted to add something kind of on what Jay said, which is about it being true, you know, based on what Adrian Cronauer felt. And one of the things that I think is most interesting about based on a true story, what makes one's work versus what doesn't is whether the facts and the things are true williams performance and levinson's direction and not to get all highfalutin with what i say here but they're coming from such a place of emotional truth you know williams is coming from a place of emotional truth in that performance and i think that's mm -hmm. why it works whether it's like accurate or not there is a universal truth in the performance that he gives in that movie that is just amazing and when robin williams was at his best that is exactly what he could tap into he could tap into that that emotional truth that that just really made you feel and empathize and like people that he was playing on screen so i still kind of wanted to it just you said that jay and it just made me think of that but i just that's why i think this movie works so well is it's coming from a place of emotional honesty and truth agreed and a fantastic soundtrack yeah. I mean, who are we kidding? It's a fantastic soundtrack. So, all right. Well, what we like to do at the end of each episode is we like to tell the listeners where they can find the movies that we've been recommending. Mike, I'll start with you. All right. So, uh, The Right Stuff is available for streaming 
everywhere. Uh, it's rental purchase, uh, not streaming for free anywhere. One of the things I would say about The Right Stuff is this is definitely, in fact, most of the movies we've recommended this week are movies that please try and see them on the biggest screen you possibly can. The Right Stuff is epic. It's designed to be seen on a big screen. Um, October Sky is streaming on HBO Go or HBO Now if you have a subscription to either one of those. Apollo 13 is streaming on Stars, which if you have a cable subscription, you probably have access to Stars. But if you don't, you can also get a standalone channel uh, either on its own or through Amazon for like nine bucks a month. All right, Jay, how about your picks? Well, Walking Tall is streaming on Amazon Prime, so you can watch that. It's been on there forever, so I don't think they're taking it down. But if you, you don't do Prime, you can rent it on YouTube, Google Play, Microsoft, Apple. It's like two ninety nine. Definitely worth seeing. The Falcon and the Snowman is streaming for free on Vudu, Tubi, Pluto TV, or you can rent it on Vudu as well. I watched it on Vudu. Uh, that's how I kind of like to watch stuff. They, they do ads in between, but their ads are very unintrusive. It's like 15 seconds here, and then... 40 minutes later, here's 30 seconds. And, you know, so it's very cool. And then JFK is the one that's a little bit harder to find right now. If you've got Fubo TV or if you do the free week subscription, you know, before you have to start paying for it, you can watch it there. Otherwise, you can rent it everywhere else. But definitely worth seeing. Um, I, Dana, you're not the only person that has work in VHS, though, because I have my double VHS of JFK yes. sitting right over here right now. So, <laughs> outstanding. Um, so that. Yeah, so that's how I see it. But that's how you can catch the ones I recommend. All right. And uh, for my picks, Talk Radio is available to purchase or rent across all major platforms. It's currently streaming uh, on the Stars app and on the Stars Amazon app. So I guess that means exactly the way you just described it, Mike. You can get a Stars, a standalone Stars account through Amazon. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam is not streaming for free anywhere, but it's available to rent and purchase across all major platforms. And Private Parts is currently available to rent and purchase across all major platforms, but is also streaming on Amazon Prime, Hulu, and Epix right now. So, all right. Jay, if people want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Absolutely. You can follow me personally at Jay Skipworth on Twitter, or you follow my show, Filmstrip Podcast, at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter. Excellent. Mike, if people want to follow you on social media, how can they find you? I am at Hibachi Justice on Twitter, and I'm also at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where, as we just talked about, we have crossed over into triple digits. We have an ongoing list of every movie that we've recommended on the uh, 20th Century Movie Club. You can find that by following me. And as of this episode, it will be at 105, yeah, I think 105 movies, if my math is correct. Uh, maybe 106. I don't know how numbers work. I'm not a uh, NASA <laughs> scientist. But... Uh, I went to law school, so I didn't have to do math. Um, but anyway, uh, follow us there. Check out all the movies we've recommended. Uh, and hit us up if you watched any of these or do watch any of these. We love to hear from people when they uh, check out movies that we've recommended. Absolutely. And if you want to follow the show on Twitter, uh, it's at Dana Buckler Show. If you want to follow on Instagram, it's at the Dana Buckler Show. If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter, my Twitter page is at Dana Buckler. If you want to email the show with questions or comments, you can do so at thedanabucklershow at gmail.com. So, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. I know we're going to have you back probably sooner than later. So thank you very much. Guys, thanks again. Absolutely loved it. Dana, looking forward to your appearance on on Filmstrip as well. Oh, absolutely. And Mike, uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking very soon as well. Thank you as always for being on the show. And thanks for being a part of it, man. We've hit 100. Yeah, I love I love doing this, man. I'm so thankful that you asked me to do this with you. It's been a lot of fun. Excellent. All right, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And my name is Dana Buckler. And thank you so much for listening.